I don't know if any of you have ever had one of those eureka moments when all of a sudden things just kind of hit you and and realize something uh, that you maybe should have known. But as I was putting this message together, um, I was looking at that we are talking about community, the community of Christ. And I see that we were going to be studying through the scripture that we were stirring up people in Christ. And it kind of reminded me again of uh, what I had been speaking of uh, the first weeks of this year in Sunday school. And I know all of you weren't in that Sunday school class. And what it was is, is a time that we were encouraging people to disciple other individuals. And I thought to myself, uh, as I was studying this lesson, I see myself almost doing the same thing in this message today that I did in Sunday school, which was, I thought, if I just really tried to enthuse people about the subject, they would be encouraged and want to disciple somebody else or be discipled. If I would just... Uh, show the advantages and, and even showing God's word what was happening uh, to allow that to happen, uh, that that might come about. And I thought the same thing I could do in this lesson, or at least that's what the intent was. But then it, it came to me that that wasn't the emphasis. It isn't whether we're encouraged to do something. It's whether Christ is so alive to us in our hearts that that's what is making the change. And then I knew that I had to look and ask God to truly allow me, first of all, to understand what he was trying to tell us in this message and then go from there. Let God be the one that is changing our hearts. If you have a Bible, please turn in our scriptures as we continue on in Hebrews Uh, Chapter 10, and our scriptures today are going to be read from verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading of his word. As we look at this scripture, I I thought it was very important that the first thing that we understand is who is being addressed. And as it says in the opening two uh, verses, it says, brothers, we, us, and the author at this time is, a, is addressing Christian Jews, probably Jews that are persecuted, uh, maybe those that are coming under um, others that are trying to get them to 
bring in the Jewish customs with them. That's his audience. But really today isn't a, a, a history lesson. We want to understand that he is speaking to us very much today. We are those Christians. Every individual that has allowed, not allowed, whether when God has enlightened our heart to the truth of who he is. We are those Christians. But we must understand one thing from the beginning of what everything that we're going to say, and that is we must realize that doctrine is important. And this doctrine that we're talking about, this word, means all of those truths that are taught in the Bible, all of those instances that refer to the gospel message, they are what we must hold fast to, even to the point of understanding who we are as Christians together and as Christians individually. It's been my conviction over the last few months as I've been reading and studying on different things that unfortunately the name of Christian has been used by way too many and has way too little of a meaning. And we must understand specifically what it means to be a Christian. And I refer to what I would say is the means of grace. And if I was going to explain the means of grace to us this day, I'd have to say we're going to have to set aside many weeks of a sermon message to explain that. But in understanding that we are Christians because of the the means of grace, we have to understand what we're saying is the doctrine of grace is specifically what Martin Luther was talking about when he said that the Holy Spirit is the one that calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies each Christian. If that's not what happens, and if that isn't what somebody uh, understands as Christianity, that should, to us, be one making us wonder, are they truly Christian? Now, if we're going to be speaking of the doctrines of grace, uh, maybe somebody is going to say, well, where are we going to find that in the Bible? Well, it would be kind of like looking for the triune God in the Bible. God's word speaks about it from the beginning to end, all the way through it. It is revealed to us. So understanding who we are and what the audience is, we as Christians, and it's my prayer today that each person here knows that to be true. And if it doesn't, then I pray that God's Holy Spirit is again enlightening those that are still seeking to know who he is in this, uh, in this room, maybe through this message that might be heard someplace else wherever God's word is being spoken today. We are the Christians. We are the audience that this is speaking to. Now we have to understand that for the last nine and a half chapters in Hebrews, the author has been trying and showing us how Jesus Christ is superior to anything else that has come before. Whether it's a a better covenant, a better priesthood, Uh, the founder and author of salvation, all of that is wrapped up in him. And now he compacts all of that in kind of the next two verses and he gives us the synopsis of who we are in him. 
And I want to read again those verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. We must see that we have two possessions because of Christ's work. Two possessions because of Christ's work. The first thing that we have is access to through God, to through God. Excuse me. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. And the key concept here is that we enter by the blood of Jesus. We can come before God at any time because of what Christ has done. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't a price to be paid. It was a dear price. It was said to be his blood, his death. Before we know in the old way, in the old covenant, a priest would go into the holy place or the holy of holies and, and make a petition for Israel, for others. First for himself, then for others. And there was limited access. Folks, that has gone away. Christ has taken down that veil. We have complete access to God himself through his redeeming work. I think to myself, that's an open door policy. If you've ever been in the workplace and had a supervisor that said, anytime you have a problem, I want you to come and see me. My door is always open for you to talk to me. Parents, hopefully we said to our children, there's nothing that you can't talk to me about. I'm available anytime. I want you to come to me and talk to me. That's what we're speaking of in an open door policy. And if we think about that, it's not the first time that it has been tried in the Bible. And if we look back into Exodus chapter 18, we see that Moses had an open door policy. And I just want to read a little bit about from there. And it said, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now that right there sounds like there's a problem. That people were standing there from morning till evening. And his father-in-law saw the situation. And he asked Moses, why are you doing it this way? Do you think that you can really accomplish this task? And Moses said back to him, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And here's the important part. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses was acting as that priest even before God had ordained them. He was the leader of Israel and was doing and trying to tell them about the true God and what his statutes were. Jesus Christ in his work has been able to do that and now we have free access to him. The next thing we have to understand past uh, having access is we also have a great high priest over the house of God. Two things. We can come before him 
and enter with confidence. We know in the, in the Old Covenant that the priest would go in before them. Even wrong sacrifice, like we see, caused the death of some. There was no second guessing what our situation is when we come before Christ himself through his way. We have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. Never has there been anything that will hinder us from coming before him. Jesus is not only our redeemer, he is our advocate at the right hand of God himself. Also, we understand that he is the great high priest. He is the one that is representing us, pleading for us, that we are accepted by his work in our faith alone, that he is the one that has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, and he is the one assuring us that that is where we belong, to have access to God himself. I sometimes watch a show that's on TV that's sponsored by a a denomination. And it says that it is the only one true church. And one of the parts of the episode that I watch is people that have come from another religion or maybe no religious background and how they've come to the one true church. And then usually the MC um, says that he knows where they came from and the flaws that were in that church. And one day I watched it and he said, do you know that there's even churches out there that don't think that they need priests anymore? That they have eliminated the priests that our one true church still has? And I thought to myself, Do you know what God's word says? I don't need a man because Jesus Christ is that high priest. We have a priest and we have access to the Father through him. Now because of that, how that has shaped us and hopefully invigorates us as Christians and brings brings us to the knowledge that God has done such a miraculous work in our own hearts, something that we are completely not worthy of, we should have then a response. And the rest of the scripture is three responses, three exhortations. Exhortations is kind of one of those book words It really means acts intended to motivate or encourage. And they're really easy to find in this scripture because they all start with lettuce. Now, I didn't mean that main ingredient in salad, lettuce. It says, let us. And us are the Christians. And we are directed to come before him and to understand what we are to do. And the first one of those is found in chapter 22. And I read, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our first one tells us that we have a call to life of worship. 
a call to a life of worship. All that we do, all that we are, all that we have, every day, every minute of our life is worship to God. At least it should be. It isn't just when we come together in this setting. It is all that we are that God has, has seen fit to give us in this life should give him praise and honor and glory. But as we think about that, one of the first things when we think that we are, are to give praise and adoration to come before him, we think that it means that we're going to draw near in prayer. And that is very important. Prayer is important. And we understand now that because we can come before the Lord in prayer, we have Christ himself that is giving our petitions to God the Father. A little earlier in Hebrews, to reaffirm uh, what we have already read in this part, the author wrote, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. One of the things it doesn't say is when we come before him in a time of need that he's going to answer and give everything that we need or want. Everything that we think that we need or want or desire. But it does say that when we come before him, he is going to give us grace and his mercy that whatever the situation He will be there to get us through it. But one of the other things that we have to understand that in this scripture, it is calling us to a time of worship, but it's giving us guidelines, four specific guidelines for worship. And that first one is sincerity. Because it says, let us draw near with a true heart, hearts filled with his grace. My friends, another thing that has uh, truly been the burden of my heart uh, in my last months, weeks of study is that we have a war within our hearts going on daily. And it is between sin and our servanthood to Christ. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we put to death what is in our heart that is sin. And in our study uh, of mortification of sin, uh, the author has told us to replace in our heart those things that, that ought not be there. We need more grace of who Christ is in our hearts. Every time that a situation comes up, the overflow of our heart is what is going to be seen. Is it going to be God's love or is it going to be the feelings of who we are, our sinful nature? We also have full assurance of faith, unwavering trust in God and his promises. Unwavering trust in in God and his promise. Now, have you ever heard, maybe on a TV show, or in a movie, or, or even use the line uh, yourself where you say, uh, boy, that person sure has major trust issues. That's not a good thing. That means somewhere along the line, something has happened that they no longer can trust. 
whatever it might be. That will never be the case when we trust in God himself. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, the promises that God makes to us, we know that he is faithful. Another guide to worship is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Hebrews author knew the old covenant failed in this point, unable to cleanse the conscience, but by his blood our sins are removed and we are set free from the burden of guilt. My friends, in our relationship between God and ourselves, if our past sins are ever brought up, it will either be by us or by the devil, but never by God himself because he does not keep them. He does not take account of our past sins. They are removed from us. And we also must understand and worship that worship uh, is our bodies washed with pure water. Now, many commentators uh, agree that this is a reference to baptism itself. And I believe that that is, is, uh, is, is there to some form in this statement. But think of it this way. We're talking about worship. And if the main thing that it was speaking of was baptism, I think it would go something like this. We try to have somebody at the door uh, when you come uh, to this building to greet you. And think of that situation, and, that, and as you're coming up, that person uh, says to you, well, how was your life of worship this week? And you answer them back, baptism. And you wear baptism as a badge and say, since that happened, all of my worship is seen in just that one act. No, that isn't what baptism is at all. Yes, it is an outward show of faith but it isn't something that we just proclaim once. It doesn't quite work in this situation. What really works and what helps us understand being washed is what God's word says is in Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the way that we should be worshiping God with everything that we are day in, day out. There's much more to worship than just those uh, things, but we have to continually remember that we are striving always to reflect and show God's glory. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. We are called to a life of truth. Called to a life of truth. What does that look like in us as Christians? It means in our daily life that when we see that circumstance come about 
and we have the opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we do it, that we don't shy away from it, that we don't say, I don't think that this situation is quite right. I'm not that bold. I I don't think that I'm going to take the opportunity. Allow God to use us in that very situation. And like his word says, he will give us the words to say. But I think it's another thing that we have to think of. And I'm, I started out by saying that I believe God's word, the, the, the true meaning of God's word is very important. That must be nurturing our souls all the time. And the only way that that's going to happen is we spend time learning and studying it. But one of the things that we also have to do with that is we have to challenge those things that we hear that do not coincide with the, with the truth of God's word. False teachers are quick to point out and to bring us things that would question what the true truth is. We cannot allow that, my friends. We must boldly say what God's word says. If we do not know at that time, we find out. There are resources, whether it's pastors, whether it's friends, whether it's study Bibles, you name it. But answers can be had and we can understand that we can understand and have the truth there when we need it. Because that is what we are called for. There are many that have gone on before us that would not take and step down from the truth. People in front of Caesar, all they had to say was, Caesar is Lord. If they did not, it cost them their life. During the Reformation in England, Protestants were martyred for what today we would think would be petty theological distinctions. Do we have that boldness that we are willing to face the truth of what God's word says and proclaim it? Or are we to the point that we like a pain-free Christianity? I pray that that is not us. And I pray that if we find ourselves in that situation, that being better equipped, nurturing our own souls through the truth of God's word, allows us to have the boldness that we need. And here's a little life truth for you. The end of that scripture said, he who promised is faithful. That's God's promise. That's what he has told us will happen. Yes, it's an assurance, an assurance to us, that he is always faithful, but I think it can be used in another way and seen in a different light. It can also be such a great example of motivation for us. If we're willing to say that God is that faithful, if he has done that for us, why then can't we not do that, be that faithful for him? And lastly... Christians are called to a life of community. Verses 24 and 25. 
And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. William Lane describes life and community this way. Continued care for one another that finds an expression in love, good works, the mutual encouragement that active participation in the gathering of the community makes possible. My friends, an act of worship is coming together in a community of fellow believers. It's not optional. It's what God's word says that we should do. We are not to be alone. In the negative, in the sinful part of how man responds, we see early on in Genesis that Cain said, when questioned about his brother, he said, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yes, we are. And we're called in God's providence to be willing to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in this community. That's part of what I started thinking and saying as I started my message. That if we just encourage each other, if we just talk about it and see the worth of it, that it'll give us a greater hunger. No, the only thing that's going to change our hearts is if God truly is working on our hearts and and doing that work to refine us, to bring us closer to his glory and his honor. We see in the scripture that it says, for us to consider... I believe that that is uh, an instruction to consider means to think, to have a thought pattern there that we're actually putting something into this. And when we're considering somebody else, you know who we're not considering? Ourselves. Because so quickly we want to think of ourselves and put ourselves first. But when we think this way and consider what we can do for others, it truly allows us to understand there's much more in life than what is our needs and our desires. We need to be stirring up each other. That means that, that there has to be this, this provoking between each other to, to really instill, to, to want to see the other individual succeed put behind them the the struggle that they're in, to see small victories in other people's lives. I see some encouraging things just lately in in our congregation, in this community. I see when a prayer request goes out, young people that answer that call and are praying college students that are willing to take the time and pray. That isn't what we hear about college students. Unfortunately, I think that college life means that everybody has the same lifestyle. I don't believe that's true. And it's evident in some of the people that are going to college that are in this community right here. I see individuals 
that are coming alongside other individuals and counseling with them in this community and out of the community. That, to me, says that they are trying to make a difference in the kingdom of God, and that's encouraging. How do we encourage each other, one another? We can pray for them. We can do acts of service for them. That requires us to come alongside others. That's an action situation. And God's word says that we need to come together and to worship together. Physically, set aside, make the priority that when we are scheduled to meet as a body of believers, it is a priority with us to be here. That's a hard thing for us to sometimes hear because we have our own agenda in life. My, my friends, that is a struggle for each one of us because we have things that take us away from this time. This is not a time for me to say that it's a judgment on my part. It's only what God says and he has said we are not to forsake the gathering together. The, the, the fulfilling of what needs to be done is not with Crossway Christian Church. It's with God. And I have to say, for myself, and I encourage others, if those things of your life are taking us away from this time that we have together, they ought not be there. Yes, there are exceptions. I know that. Yes, there are vacations, and those are important. That doesn't mean that you can't visit another church while you're gone. But if those are your priorities in life, my friend, we need to take and evaluate those. But this isn't open-ended. Because God's word tells us there will come a day when this will end. How many of us really believe that the world's going to end before next Sunday? How many of us live as though our days are so numbered on this earth that this might be the last time that we see a, a certain individual, whoever that might be, in our midst? It's actually quite fresh for this congregation, for this community of believers. We do not know what that day is that God has said that the world will end or when our life will end. But in the meantime, we are to come together and be in community encouraging and lifting each other up. Until that day, we stand in, until that day when we stand in God's presence, and know and feel the unimaginable fullness of His grace and love, we must remember how we are to live. We must live by faith, not wrongly thinking that somehow we must have more faith, but true faith, absolute faith in the complete work of Jesus Christ. Christ alone could accomplish and, re and accomplish our redemption. He only. Nothing needs, needs or could be added to his work from us 
we need only to believe by faith and also with hope. We hold fast, drawing our strength and stability from God himself because he who promised is faithful. And the result of faith is hope. And hope is seen and expressed by love. The love of God that fills our hearts, the same love which gave and shows and we show to others, we love because he first loved us. Whoever loves God must love his brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray again that the gift of your Son to us, that he has opened the throne room of heaven to us through his redeeming work, humbles our hearts so much and fills us with praise and adoration beyond what our hearts can even hold, Lord, that we really see and realize the importance of how we treat and come together as this body of believers. Those individuals, Lord, that have gathered and chosen to worship together, to be community, I pray, Lord, that it is truly our burden of heart that we love them, we nurture them, that we profess the truth of your word together, and that we are willing to put others before self truly as your example and your son has done for us. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.